Two, it starts with beer. I'm your host, Will Sis. In this episode, I get to talk to author and recipe creator Jackie Dodd Mallory, known as the Beeriness. We talk about the basics of cooking and baking with beer, what goes into a strong beer photograph, and more. It starts with beer as a member of the Hopped Up Network, and this episode is brought to you by Back East Brewing of Bloomfield, Connecticut. Their taproom expansion with indoor and outdoor seating makes Back East the perfect place to enjoy excellent beers like Ice Cream Man IPA, Recoutra IPA, their award-winning Porter, or any of the other delicious beers in their ever-changing lineup. Go to backeastbrewing.com for more information. I first encountered Jackie Dodd Mallory when she was Jacqueline Dodd, author of the Craft Beer Cookbook. She is the author of two other books, The Craft Beer Bites Cookbook and Lush, a season-by-season celebration of craft beer and produce. I admire her writing, and her blog has a ton of great material. After our interview, stay for the after party, when I reflect on the history and future of the podcast. Let's listen in. Jackie, I'm so glad that you're able to join me. How are you doing? Uh, You know, I'm doing okay, all things pandemics considered. I'm doing pretty good. How are you? I am about the same. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Feeling a little bit burned out and uh, Mm -hmm. missing a lot of my old life and, uh, and such. I feel like I know you from your writing, from your photography, and from your craft beer cookbook, which I've been Mm -hmm. uh, delving into for years. You make cooking and baking with beer seem fun and easy. Oh, good. Let's talk a little bit about cooking and baking with beer. What would you say makes a successful partnership, so to speak, between beer and your other ingredients? Well, you know, it's interesting. The beer that I choose a lot of times is I really kind of figure out, okay, first it's flavors. You know, if I am doing, like, let's just say chicken soup. I'm never made a chicken soup with beer, but, you know, it's not outside the realm of possibilities. But I think it's a flavor profile that everyone kind of understands. And if you think of all those flavors and then you want to put like a raspberry goza on top of it, that sounds awful. And it probably would be. Mm. But if you're thinking of something maybe more like a brown ale, then that would probably be great. Those flavors are kind of maybe not necessarily similar, but they can go together like they match up. And that's the kind of the first thing I think of is, you know, are these flavors that are going to match up? And then there are other kind of things to consider like IBUs. And I I think, you know, for anybody who doesn't know, that's basically how a a unit of measurement to kind of say how bitter your beer is going to be, but it's not, there's errors in it. And there's sort of this windshield factor to it, as I call it. But anyway, (laughs) the IBUs, if they're really high, you know, for instance, a Budweiser is like four IBUs and then, you know, a hundred plus, I mean, they say that you can't measure anything over a hundred, but let's just say, you know, some triple IPA is a hundred plus. If I'm going to be using a lot of beer, 
like a, if I'm going to use a cup or, you know, a pint or whatever, I don't want it to be that high because once the beer is cooked, those hop flavors get really bitter, really intense and sometimes a bad way. So that's another thing I think about, but if I'm not using very much beer, if I'm only using like a couple tablespoons and I really want that strong beer flavor, I will use a higher IBU beer. So there's kind of, it's kind of a lot of things. And I've been doing this so long, I feel like that sometimes it's this sort of just, it's become almost intuitive. But if I have to go back to the beginning, it was in the beginning, I was like, oh, this, you know, triple IPA sounds amazing because it's, you know, this dish is going to have lemons in it. And then I cook it and just like hops in the boil or, you know, whatever it, those flavors get so intense and so bitter. And there are so many people that have told me, you know, the only thing I've made is beer bread and I used an IPA cause I like IPAs and the beer, the bread was just not even edible. It was so intense. For me, the, the times I've made things with beer and it does tend to be, yes, I did start off with beer bread and I've made, you know, cheese that's infused, you know, add some beer, you know, kind of like, you know, simpler, on the simpler end of things, that I was surprised that I didn't taste the beer so much as I taste, tasted its essence. And, and that's something that I couldn't get over. I was thinking, it's an ingredient. I'm going to put it in the food. I'm going to taste the beer somehow in the cookie or... Uh, mm -hmm. in the meatloaf or whatever it is. And that's not always the case, right? That's not unsuccessful if you don't taste right. the actual beer, right? Yeah, and you don't, and sometimes that's not necessarily always what you are going for. Like when you make a cake, you don't taste the baking soda. If you did, you really messed up. <laughs> but, you know, when you make a cake with beer, your goal is not to taste the beer. It's because the beer is a sort of mild leavening agent and it, really works well with the other leavening agents. So you get this really great texture and lightness to your baked goods. And so that's kind of one of the reasons that you use it. If you do want to taste your beer, then I would suggest adding like a frosting or something that has beer in it. But you know, when you brine, for instance, you don't want your turkey to taste like beer. A brined meat, especially white meat that dries out really easily. If you brine them, they are able to stay juicier longer especially if you're cooking an entire bird and the dark meat takes longer to cook and then the white meat's all dried out by the time you cook the dark meat if you brine it especially in beer which is a natural meat tenderizer then you kind of have that end result of this really juicy flavorful bird that does not necessarily taste like beer and so sometimes that's the goal and sometimes it's not and you know we cook with a lot of ingredients and not all of them end up being the star of the dish sometimes they add other things to the mix and, I, and I'm sure there's a lot of trial and error. When you were first uh -huh. delving into this, what were some of the biggest errors that you made that maybe you could uh, cut some people off that, that might be <laughs> in that realm now? I did. It, I kind of approach cooking sort of very science-y. Mm. I like the nerdy side of it. Like I didn't, I didn't want to know how to brine a turkey. I mean, I did, but I want to know why you brine a turkey. I, I don't want to know like, I, my cheese sauce broke. I want to know why it broke and I want to know how to fix it. I want to know what happened. And then kind of getting into that side of it, then I felt like I had a lot more control, but it is a lot like learning a language. So if people just feel like, well, I can't cook, it's like, you know, taking one Spanish class and being like, well, I can't speak Spanish. And <laughs> I was like, well, of course not. So it, it is sort of this, you know, when you walk away from a dish that didn't work, it's, really easy to get like a really emotional about it because trust me I have cried in the kitchen more than once 
but it's also kind of to remember like, okay, what did I learn from this? Like, what am I going to take away and what went wrong and how can I fix that thing that went wrong? And so in the beginning, a lot of it was figuring out how to, how to work with this kind of new ingredient that obviously I was very familiar with as a beverage, but not as an ingredient. And one of the harder things was figuring out how, what do I do with IBUs? Like, what do I do with high, like super hoppy beers? How do I work with that? I can't just be like, I'm not ever cooking with an IPA again, but how do I get information? Cause there wasn't, you know, a lot out there as far as people who had really delved into everything behind cooking with beer. I mean, there are some recipes out there, but there's not a lot of people that do it as consistently as I do, I guess. So I didn't have a lot to draw from as far as like previous people's experience. What did you discover about IPAs? When are they appropriate for incorporating it into food? If you want a big beer flavor, then IPA is your guy. But if you don't, then they're just, they're very aggressive beers and they are not, they're very finicky, I guess. They're they're temperamental. Mm. If what you want is a really strong flavor, then that's what you should do. But if not, there's a, there's a lot more agreeable beers to cook with. Like brown ales and stouts are kind of, I would say if you're new to cooking with beer, start there because they're really forgiving. So you might not get the flavor that you want, but your dinner's still going to be edible. You know, if you use an IPA incorrectly, I mean, it can make it so you can't even eat the dish. Like I, in the beginning, I made things where I was like, this is, I don't even, I can't even eat this. It's so intense. But if what you're going for, like I made lemon bars with an IPA because I wanted the flavor to come across and the lemon was so strong to begin with, mm. that flavor was so big and punchy that I needed a match. And so I used an IPA in that because it is, it's a big flavor that needed a big flavor that could stand up to it. But if you're making something that's a little bit more mellow, like, you know, for instance, the beer bread that we talked about, there's not a lot of other flavors there. So everything is going to get completely bulldozed by an IPA. But if you use like a wheat beer, for instance, then it's going to be, you know, really nice because you're only going to get like a little hint of it. But if you're making like, say, jalapeno chipotle cheddar beer bread then you know maybe an ipa would work because there are so many other flavors to kind of compete with for those who are just getting into it work with a forgivable a more forgiving style like brown and and uh, and even stout for more advanced chefs and bakers that might already know this and what are some experimental dishes you've created or tried that, that you've really enjoyed that, that might be off the radar for, for a lot of people? That's interesting. There, I mean, there are some that I kind of have, like, I guess on the back burner as far as like things that I'm like, you know, I haven't really gotten this completely worked out yet, but I'm still kind of working with it. I made eclairs the other day, which turned out amazing. And I really loved kind of the way beer kind of incorporated into that. I always, you know, I always really loved baking. I, you know, like everyone else went through a sourdough phase this year. When I originally made my starter, like a few years ago, I did use a sour ale because they have the same sourdough starters and sourdough beer. They have the same, you know, wild cultivated yeast and then, and then lactobacillus bacteria and that's the same in in sourdough bread so not obviously not all 
sour ales are lacto beers, but if you have that, it's like you're looking, you're trying to cultivate those things anyway. So if you start it with a beer that already has like bread and lacto in it, then you're just basically like superpowering your starter. And if your starter's ever getting kind of like bad looking and not very active, like feed it with a sour beer. Like you, you don't need very much. Because people think about how the malt will impact and in, in the hops, they don't often think about the yeast. With every, not with every style, but with a lot of styles, they have the, you know, what's the star ingredient? And obviously with IPAs, it's the hops. But then you look at, you know, the wild fermented beers and it's like, well, this is where the yeast shines. I mean, there's not a lot of ingredients in your basic average beer. So usually one of them is going to take center stage. And with the yeast, it's really interesting because it is, if you're talking about like a baking super liquid, it already has like grains and yeast. So, I mean, you're like way ahead of where you would be using just water. Now, I'm more of a malt head generally. Like if I'm going to choose a beer, I'm going to go with a porter, for example. And, And lately I've been kind of branching out. I'm a beer snob, but I'm not above trying beers with adjuncts in them. So mm-hmm. I've had coffee stouts and peanut butter stouts and chai stouts. What would you say in terms of using beers that have adjuncts? Are there certain ones that the adjunct really shines through or, or ones to avoid because they're just going to fall flat? I, I mean, it really depends on the beer. And I, you know, I sort of, I want to try everything. So, you know, people, I'm sure you get this too. People will always say, what's your favorite beer? And I'm like, I don't know. The next one I have because I always want to try whatever I haven't tried before. Even if I'm pretty sure I'm not going to like it, I still want to know what it tastes like. And I love, I love malty beers. I think that that was kind of my first love. Like when I first started drinking beer, I really went towards the, like the stouts and the porters and I go through phases. I think like everyone else. And I think it depends that the harder thing is when somebody uses an extract it doesn't, it sort of can really change once the dish is cooked. So, you know, like a vanilla porter that has used vanilla beans versus vanilla extract or mint porter that uses mint leaves versus mint extract, that can be really, that's kind of your wild card. So if I told you to go out and get a raspberry sour and the one you got happened to be an extract one rather than like an actual fruit then it's going to be a different kind of experience, but it's really kind of case by case basis. Cause there's some beers that work really, really well, especially I really do love like a good non-barrel aged coffee stout or porter. And it, some of those beers are just fantastic to cook with. What is, is just uh, for your own taste that you don't like the barrel aging or does that impact the cooking with it as well? Well, I use them more in cooking than I do for drinking. I think they can get, really anisey and really, you know, just because you put it in a barrel for a year does not mean it's a good beer. And I think people will freak out over these beers just because they were aged for a year and they're super boozy. And more often than not, I just don't enjoy them. But if I can get a beer that's really, really good and clean and is not like syrupy and anisey, then it's great. But more often than not, they're kind of like not what I want to sit and drink. So I usually will end up like opening, sharing, and then saving what I had that I'm not going to drink. 
and I'll save it to cook with because they're great to put like if you want to make like a chocolate ganache with like a barrel aged beer it's it's amazing mm-hmm. because you do that kind of the anisey flavors kind of get drowned out but you still get like that big bold beer and you know the barrel aged flavor comes across really well but I cook with them a lot more often than I would I do drink them but I same thing like I want to try it but more often than not I'm like okay I'm good with like a small taster of that are there certain styles of beer that are more of a challenge, not just IPAs because they're so strong, but maybe ones because they're kind of so weak in flavor that you've avoided, that you'd like to tackle, that maybe or maybe some that you think deserve more of a more of a look? I, you know, I think brown ales are incredibly underrated. They're one of my favorites and they they kind of have this like crossover effect which it's like they're the perfect fall beer, but they're still fine, like in a summer where it's not too hot. And then they're still great through the winter and spring. And they're great to cook with. People just don't make them very often. They're like kind of harder to find. There's, I'm in Seattle right now, and there's a brewery called Georgetown that they make fantastic beers. They've never made a beer that I don't like. They just started packaging their brown, and it's great. So that's, I think, where I would start because they're very... You know, they're kind of like that friend you have that's like a bass player that'll drive you to the airport at five o'clock in the morning that's just sort of just chill. Bass players I've known have been really nice. Yeah, they usually are. They're kind of quiet. Yeah. They don't brush their yeah. teeth very much. They, they'll always drive you to the airport at five in the morning. Right. Not unlike those lead guitarists that, that do squat. No, they're assholes. Um, <laughs> uh, but... You know, and, and sours can be diff- difficult, too, because a lot of the things that you really like about them really just get cooked out. So if you're doing mm. something like they're great for if you want to make like a sorbet, they're great. But they're harder to find a good fit for because a lot of what they bring to the table doesn't really translate well. And, you know, even if you had a beer like a really clean Pilsner or Pale Lager or something, you could still use it in a capacity that is not meant for flavor, like biscuits. They're gonna, it's gonna be a great thing to make biscuits with because you don't necessarily want a big beer flavor, but you really get that great kind of texture that comes with baked goods that are, are beerified. I didn't think about that. It isn't just about the flavor, but there's texture, uh, mouthfeel, mm-hmm. you know, to 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 be incorporated as well. Yeah. So. You moved from L.A. to Seattle. Was Mm -hmm. it for the beer? No, even though the beer, the beer scene here is fantastic. And in L.A., you know, I kind of watched the beer scene, the beer scene in L.A. kind of come up. There was almost nothing. There was a little really small brewery that like didn't have a tap room and they just kegged and that's it. And then Eagle Rock Brewing came in. It was like the first tap room in L.A. County since like Prohibition or something. It was crazy. And that wasn't that long ago. That was like early teens. And, you know, I moved to Seattle where it's like their beer scene has been going on since like the 80s, 70s even. So it's, and then they have all the new breweries that have come in, you know, the last 10 years, but they have all these like heritage brands that have been around forever. I mean, guys that were, there was no such thing as like buying brewery equipment. So they were like repurposing dairy equipment in order to make a brewery. And then, you know, the LA beer scene since then, you know, in the last eight years has really come up and there's some fantastic beers coming out of LA, but 
I do think the Pacific Northwest is one of the best beer scenes in the United States. And we have all the hop. See, I went to hop harvest, I think two years ago with Founders Brewing. And it's amazing. It's an amazing experience to be there with like brewers from all over the world and people are picking out hops and, um, you know, it's like, it's like beer summer camp. It's crazy. And it is one of those, like, you know, it's like a few hours from my house where all these hops are grown. And then the fresh hop season here is incredible. And it's sad because usually, you know, most years I'm, you know, bar to bar to bar for their fresh hop events. And this year, obviously that didn't happen, but it's one of my favorite times here is the fall because the fall in the Pacific Northwest is gorgeous, but also because the beer is amazing. Now you're also an accomplished beer photographer. Well, thank you. Can you tell me what makes for a good beer photo? I think it is a photo that makes you want to eat or drink whatever is in the photo. You know, however you get there, it's something that sort of makes you feel something and um, makes you want to kind of reach in and grab a spoon or grab a pint or whatever. And I sometimes I, I like them, the picture's a little messy, a little unclean, a little like, you know, you stumbled into somebody's kitchen table and, you know, everything isn't perfect looking, you know. I often do find my eye being drawn, at least if I'm looking on Instagram, around the picture. I get that you want me to look at this liquid in a glass, well, but it's the other things. It's well, Of course, I'm drawn to people, so if a person's in the shot, that's going to, to me to be a bonus. But that's an interesting point, that it's not about just getting the food or getting the beer, but it's about getting the atmosphere. Yeah, you know... I think that it is, it's hard, you know, it's not an easy thing. I didn't, I mean, I can show you some of my first photos and they're terrible. So I think if it's something you really want to do, just, you know, keep going and keep trying to figure out how you can make your photos better. And I think the most important things for when it comes to photography, you can start practicing with your phone and that's composition and lighting and, you know, getting the lighting right natural I only use natural light I don't ever use any artificial light and it's kind of my favorite and and I move I tend to move a lot I move houses like I don't know I like moving I guess and every time I move I have to sort of figure out where the light is and kind of move around my house and figure out okay where am I going to set things up at because I need the good light and through the year it changes and then you know figuring out composition where does where does it look the best does it look best with you know if I get really low and do like a low angle or a high angle or a side angle, you know, and just kind of start figuring out composition and lighting and kind of dedicate yourself to those things until you feel like you have it down and then you can move on to harder things like aperture. I just find myself unfollowing a lot of people that I used to follow. If all I'm going to see is what may be orange juice in a glass, I have no <laughs> idea. <laughs> yeah. But it, 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 it's probably beer. Yeah, and I do, I have like a, such a pet peeve about the dirty glass with like the uh, the little tiny micro bubbles on it. Ooh. I hate it. I hate it. And I'm like, I don't know why. And I, I would never say anything to anybody because I know people just get excited about their beer and stuff. But if I see a picture with a glass and just the whole thing is covered with those little micro bubbles, I'm like, your glass is dirty, bro. Like clean your glass and then re-pour that. Or, you know, the shaker pint, like if you love your beer, do not drink it in the shaker pint. I don't care what it is. It's going to taste better in a, a glass that's meant for, you know, beer and not orange juice at a diner. 
What if it has a really cool logo, though? I don't care. It's still going to say it's terrible. But if you can only really invest in one style of glass, like get tulip glasses. They're fantastic. They work with almost every beer style. Like they're kind of the best, the go-to all. And some people are really into Tiku glasses. I am way too clumsy. They have like the giant wine stem and I will knock it over. So the tulip glasses are kind of like Tiku, but like short, short stem for us clumsy people. Now let's talk a little bit about writing. You know, you, you've written for quite a few publications. Has your style of writing changed throughout your career? Do you have a an approach that you prefer in terms of your research and then in your creating of the piece? Yeah, I, you know, it's, and I think it's different for every publication. Everybody kind of, it's like the different tone. And, you know, on my blog, I just, it's, it's just sort of like, a conversation like it's not serious and for a while I tried to get serious and do it and people didn't want that and I was sick of it and but if I write when I write for magazines I will you know most of the time I get to sort of choose the subject I write a column for a local a Washington-based magazine and what I really do is I try to go out and find something that that you want to root for and it's easy in beer there's a ton of people good people that you want to root for and I just I'm not the kind of person that wants to ever write negative pieces. And so there have been times when I've come across breweries that I was trying to write a piece on and I couldn't find an angle that was honest and positive. And so I just scrapped it and moved on to something else because, you know, these are, there's enough bad stuff in the world and there's enough good stuff in the beer world that I have always felt like if I can choose my subject, it's a waste of my time and energy to put really negative things out there. I, and it is fun. And I am a person who, you know, I want to root for people and I want to find someone to root for. And it's easy in beer because there are so many good people who have started breweries and who are doing really amazing things. You know, right now I've been writing a lot about like how people are surviving COVID and the pandemic and the shutdown. And there's a brewery in, in West Seattle and they won, they've been open since February and they won a GABF small brew pub of the year. And they're fantastic and they're great people and they have survived this insane year. And, and so it was great to be able to write about them and the things they're doing and their amazing beer. And it is also, I always want to have like a heart and an emotion behind it. I want, I want people to kind of fall in love with the people that I've fallen in love with. Do you have anything coming up or anything that you'd like people to know about in terms of things that they can, you would point them toward? I feel like it's new, but I guess it came out last year. My my cookbook, Lush, which is a vegetarian cookbook, and it is broken up in seasons. So every season, it is in-season produce and in-season beer. And, you know, I go into a lot of the, you know, a lot of people outside of beer don't realize how seasonal beer is. It is sort of connected to the seasons and not just because of, you know, the ingredients. I mean, the ingredients are pretty much available other than fresh hops all year round. But it's the it's the way that our world kind of morphs in the middle of August. You don't want a barrel aged peanut butter stout. You know, and around the fireplace at Christmas, you don't really want a raspberry goza. And I, it, beer kind of shifts and morphs with us and our lives. And yeah, there are some, some great beers that use seasonal ingredients, you know, whether it's fruit or whatever, but more than that, it's, 
you have the barrel-aged bears come out around this time. And then, you know, you'll start when the spring hits, you're starting to see, you know, Saisons are starting to come out. Then the middle of summer, you're getting these really interesting IPAs of all different sorts. And so the book is a lot about, you know, the seasonality of beer and then food, obviously. And every season, I kind of go into those. And it, it's, I'm not vegetarian. I put bacon on desserts. But I really love vegetarian food. And I was vegetarian for about three years. And I love plant-based food. And I think a lot more people are becoming kind of more aware of the benefits for the environment and for your health of eating plant-based, at least part of the time. And it kind of is a nod to that, as well as a lot of people in craft beer do eat plant-based. And it's, you know, all your normal places, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, that kind of thing. But it's called Lush because I am a sucker for a good double entendre. (laughs) So yeah, and I'm really proud of it. I've written three cookbooks and it's my favorite one that I've written. I'm so happy to hear that. It's been a real pleasure to talk to you. Oh, thank you. You too. My thanks to Jackie Dodd Mallory. You can follow her on Instagram and Twitter at The Beeriness. I urge you to buy her books and check out her website for recipes and more. www.thebeeriness.com Welcome to the after party. Gather up a pile of unrecycled Christmas wrapping and lie down. Have another beer. I'm currently enjoying a barrel-aged Lord Dobson from Brewery Legitimus in Barkhampstead, Connecticut. It's an imperial stout that's black, viscous, a bit on the espresso side, even though it's not a coffee stout. And at 10.5% ABV, it sort of pushes pause on reality. It was a real honor to talk to Jackie, whose work I admire very much. I kind of get a chance to go through my bookshelf sometimes and just say, you know, oh, I admire that person. Let's see if I can get him on the podcast. Oh, I, I like that book. Let's see if I could reach the author. So this is one of those cases, and I'm very psyched that that worked out. So it was just about a year ago that I started playing with recording equipment for Christmas (laughs) that was really meant to be recording home music. And while that's been on the back burner, the podcast is certainly in the front. So I'm psyched. We're 47 episodes in. I've had guests from 13 states and two foreign countries. I'm looking to change up the format a little bit of It Starts With Beer, though, in the new year, or at least add to the styles of episodes that I produce. Up until this time, almost all of them have been interview episodes. Just me, one guest, maybe two. They've all been pretty much about profiling the subject, or maybe having one or two, you know, broad topics. But this one time I want to experiment with narrative style. 
which kind of means that I will really focus on a main idea, maybe a question to be answered, and then weave in many voices in one episode with my own narration kind of carrying the story. These take longer to produce, to research, uh, to edit, and so I don't think I'm going to dive exclusively into these. I think I will certainly have interviews in between. But I think that the narrative style is something that I'm very excited about. So if you have an idea for a podcast episode, a big topic, or a big question in the world of beer, let me know. Send me an email. I'm at beer.snob at yahoo.com. Well, until next year, sip well. Swing it, Ella. Next year, all our troubles will be miles away. Once again, as in olden days, happy golden days of yore. Faithful friends who were dear to us will be near to us once more. Someday soon we all will be together.